Why don't you open your Bibles with me to the book of Acts? <laughs> not bad, not bad. Nine o'clock, you got it, you're getting there. Uh, when was time change? How long ago was that? Was that before Easter? Yes. All right, well, I, I just didn't know. Because, uh, you know, there's sometimes there's a difference in the enthusiasm gap. <sighs> the book of Acts. Well, yes. Uh, what's what's the deal? What's the significant about the book of Acts? Well, we are fixing to find out. But here's a couple of things as we begin, just by way of introduction. The book of Acts is uh, kind of in order, in in, in descending order of significance. Um, the book of Acts is the only history book in the New Testament. We have Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are Gospels. That's a specific kind of lit- biblical literature genre. But the book of Acts is a history book. It, it's, it starts, it's, it has a, uh, it's the only one like it. It's different than the Gospels. It's different than epistolary literature. But the book of Acts is not just like a, a history book where someone's just... Burp, burp, burp. It's not, he's not, Luke is not just a court reporter. He does write with a theological agenda. He has an agenda. He has some overall points and and motifs trajectories they call it in biblical theology and we're going to look at those because they're really exciting the other cool thing about the book of acts it's it is it it is the only sequel in the new testament how many like good sequels you don't like bad sequels this is a good one so the book of acts is a sequel to the book of luke so if you're reading your Bibles, here's what I would recommend. If you think about your Bibles, think about you know, the, the Bibles. I think, now, pardon me for me to rearrange the Bible. That would be a bit of an overstep, even for me. But, uh, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts. Luke, Acts. Read Luke, Acts. As a matter of fact, read John first. Why John first? Because John starts in the beginning. If you open it up, he says, in the beginning. So move that to the beginning. Read John first, then Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts. Luke-Acts is a two-volume work, uh, and, and there's several ways that we know that, one of which, the most prominent, is they are addressed to the same person. Luke is absolutely forthright in saying, hello, I'm writing to you, Theophilus, and he writes that in the first one, and then in the second one, he says, hey, Theophilus, remember that first book I wrote? Well, here's the next one. Well, now that's a bit of a paraphrase, but he says something like that. Yeah. Speaking of Theophilus, that is the, the name, that's the audience. Uh, remember, we talk about when we study the Bible, we think about author, audience, and agenda. So Theophilus is the, the, the audience. There's this, it's written to a person, most excellent Theophilus. Probably a real person. I mean, almost, almost without a doubt that he has a singular person in mind. But there's a, there's a little bit of a margin for fun there because Theophilus means lover of God. Right? So, if you love God, this book is for you. And if you don't love God, you should. Because God loves you first. All right, all of that to say that the book of Acts describes the church living under the dynamic and prophetic and personal influence of the Holy Spirit. Dynamic, prophetic, and personal influence of the Holy Spirit. And that, I hope, is our desire as well. To be a church living under the influence of the dynamic, meaning the, the, the active, the powerful, the energized, and the prophetic, meaning God speaking to us and through us, and the personal 
influence of the Holy Spirit. There are seven weeks before, uh, between when we observe Easter, the resurrection, and when we observe the day of Pentecost. Those are, there are seven weeks in between there. And that uh, Pentecost is May 23rd, I think. So uh, we were, are, we're officially going to be launching into the full study on the day of Pentecost. So we've got a few weeks to warm up. But what we're going to be doing in these, in these weeks leading up to that is we are going to spend these weeks uh, really in the, first, in the first chapter. Be patient. It'll make sense. Okay? We're going to spend these weeks in anticipation of and in consideration of the promise of the Father, the gift of the Holy Spirit. We want to make sure that we, that we understand what we're going to be talking about, what we're going to be looking at. We want to anticipate. We want to prepare our hearts. We want to lean into this. Now, for anybody in the room or, or watching that says, hey, what do you mean we're going to spend all this time talking about the promise? That sounds like a bunch of charismatic stuff. Well, A, you're right. But, but in case you might find yourself thinking that this kind of a topic, what do you mean talking about the Holy Spirit so much? Um, if, you, any, if you think that this topic is perhaps not practical or not important or not relevant, then it's possible that you have misunderstood or underestimated or even totally missed the point. Amen. Because, biblically, apart from the Spirit, there's no creation. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Biblically, apart from the Spirit, there's no redemption. Yeah. 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 And apart from the Spirit, there's no resurrection. Apart from the Spirit, apart from the promise of the Spirit, there is no holiness. There's a lot of list-keeping, but no holiness. There's no healing. There's no life. There's no witness. There's no vitality. We live by the Spirit. We family, we even family by the Spirit. This, the, I mean, the Spirit of God is described, is described as the holy personal influence that enables us to family. Yes. You know, whether it's family at home or family here, the, the, everything we do, we live by the Spirit, we walk by the Spirit. Yes. It is only by the Spirit that we belong to Christ. The promised Holy Spirit is the seal. This is what we read as we started service. He is the seal. He is the substance he is the down payment of our redemption. He is the assurance and the influence of heaven now. So therefore, he's not just something. He's everything. Today, we are going to lean into a very something very specific. We are going to hear and hopefully obey the single command that we hear that, that given by the risen Christ to his apostles in order for them to receive the Holy Spirit. What Jesus said to his apostles were the, was, is this. He said, tarry until. Wait. Someone say, tarry until. Jesus essentially says this. You will have what you wait for. Let's, if you'd like to read along with me, you don't have to read out loud, but you can take a look. It's, the, our scripture this morning will be on the, the slide. And here's how Luke begins the book of Acts. The first account I, I, I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, he's talking about the book of Luke. Okay? The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after he had given 
orders by the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. New American Standard uses the word orders. Some of your Bibles might use the word instruction. Fine, similar, similar idea, but in our English vernacular, especially if you're a guy, if it says the, if it says the word instructions, what do we do with those, guys? Right, we throw them away. Instructions are for chumps, right? I don't need no directions. So it's probably it's better that we use the word orders so that we pay attention. Right? Uh, after he had given orders by the Spirit. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of things regarding the kingdom of God. Are you paying attention? Luke is saying Jesus with his disciples for 40 days, and he's talking to them. So we hear, oh, so you're telling me, Luke, yeah, Jesus was spent this 40 days, and he talked to them about lots of stuff. Mm -hmm. What about the kingdom of God? Oh, really? Well, what did he say? Ah, Luke could have, he he said, oh, man, I wish I would have had all, I wish I would have, what, 40 days? He must have talked about a lot. He probably did. But Luke only feels compelled to share with us one thing that Jesus says. Of all the things, he shares one. Verse verse 4. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Friends, I, this is, it happens again in my notes, but I cannot, I, I just am stunned. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted and stunned with this, with this thought that Jesus is fixing to leave. And he is about to leave the fate of humanity with this group of people. The, sal- the salvation for of every soul to come wow. is about to be laid to rest on the shoulders of these people. Wow. What kind of instruction? What kind of command? What kind of significant order? What's the one thing? Oh my goodness sakes! There's a we might think. Well, we, 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 what about my what about resources? What about strategy? What about mission statements and vision statements and, <laughs> and, and and branding and all kinds of things? What about all the stuff? Jesus says, look. He, I'm, gonna, I'm giving the fate, the salvific fate of humanity upon you. And here's what I want you to do. Wait for the promise. Yes. Wow. So good. Do not leave Jerusalem. We can go to the next click there. This is what Jesus said. I got ahead of myself. Do not leave Jerusalem. Wait for what the Father promises. And then he tells them, he reminded them that they've heard of this promise from him. And then he made it clear what he meant. And Luke wants us to know that Jesus made it clear what he meant. Wait for the promise. For, what? John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The promise is the person, the baptism, the immersion, the coming upon of the Holy Spirit. What What were they to do? They were to wait for the promise. That's it. All the commands that Luke includes, it's wait for the promise. Somebody say the promise. The promise. The, not, they weren't waiting. I'm not trying to make too much 
splitting hairs here, but I hope that we can begin to feel the weight of this, the, the wonderful weight of this. He doesn't say wait for a promise or wait for one of several. He doesn't say wait for the elective or wait for the optional. Wait for the promise. Capital T, capital P. Now, this is so significant because Luke, chapter 24 is the end of Luke, and obviously Acts 1 is the first of Acts, and these two uh, chapters overlap in material. And, the, and what, they, what Luke chooses to repeat or to recapitulate are, are two things, or really, he says this. In Luke 24, 49 is the same, essentially, as Acts 1, 4. Luke 24, 49 says, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Tarry, wait in Jerusalem for it. This, so the, the idea is that, there are, that they are to wait for the promise, the thing that heaven has for the redeemed. The singular good desire from heaven for us is the promise of the Spirit. Amen. Now, this promise was not a new idea necessarily for the disciples, for these, these, these Jewish men. They, they had some concept of this promise. Some, they were informed by it. Uh, from the passages of the Old Testament. Now, spoiler alert, Jesus tells them much more. He further informs their expectations, and we'll get to that in the weeks ahead. But there are some, there are some Old Testament texts that really help us understand that, that they had been stewarding the hope of this promise for generations. Here's what the Old Testament, some of these portions of the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 15. Isaiah says this, this the Lord says, until the spirit is poured out upon us from on high. And what will happen? And the wilderness becomes a fertile field. And the fertile field becomes, is, is considered a forest. He's saying that the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Spirit will come, and he describes it as the Spirit coming and taking that which is desolate and giving it life, and even coming upon that which is alive and making it abundant with life. That this is the promise of the Spirit. Is this the, the coming of the Spirit is the hope of renewal. Yes. Yes. Isaiah 44 and verse 3, listen to that language here. The Lord says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams upon the dry ground. But listen to this next one. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's people that, you know, I, because I'm so involved in church and church life and vocational church life, I tend to think of the, the work of the spirit and I tend to think of him in terms of of uh, the, the operation, the ministry of the church. And that's absolutely 100% necessary, true, no, no question. However, the scripture more often than not describes the purpose and the power of the Holy Spirit as affecting our families, yes. generations. So the promise of the Spirit is not, can I say it this way? The promise is not professional. It's personal. Speaking of personal, listen to Ezekiel 39, 29. And I will never hide my face from them again, 
for I will pour out my spirit upon them. The promise of the spirit is about nearness with God. If you're comfortable with the word intimacy, close, faith to base. Ever read those stories in Exodus where it says, and Moses talked face to face with God and get real bitter at Moses? I do. I'm like, Moses. Yeah, I, give me that tent. I want it. But the promise of the Spirit is that God brings me yes. face to face close. And then, again, probably one of the more, uh, more known passages, one that, that Peter actually refers to, is Joel 2, 28 and 29, the Old Testament. It will come about after this, I will pour out my Spirit on all mankind, all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Uh, they, they'll, they will be affected by the Spirit. They will speak the truths of God. They will speak the heart of God to, to people and to situations. They'll become the voice and the instrument of heaven on earth. Wow. That doesn't mean they're going to just walk around telling the future. That means they're going to be the voice of Jesus. Your old men will have dreams and your young men will see visions. Please do not read that as some sort of a uh, crazy idea that uh, I've heard it so many crazy things. Oh, that, you know, old people, they're sleepy, so they have dreams. <laughs> Talk about lazy, clumsy exegesis. No, it means that the Holy Spirit is coming to energize and to fill and to use your sons and your daughters, your young and your old, and even and even on my male and female servants, socioeconomic, demographic, there's no barrier. The Spirit of God, the promise of the Father is for everybody. These words help to inform their understanding of the promise as they leaned into what Jesus was saying. As he, he said, wait for the promise. This is, what heaven, this is what heaven had for them. But the question is, what did Jesus want them to do? What were they supposed to do? They were to wait. They were to tarry. The only instruction present... In Luke and in Acts is repeated in both of them is to wait. This is important. Would you just say that out loud with me? This is important. This is Jesus. Do this. Do what? Wait. If it weren't important that they wait, Jesus could have given any other instruction or Luke could have recorded anything else. If, if they were going to just receive the promise regardless, well, if God wants me to have it, he'll give it to me. You know, if, if they were just going to receive it, you know, irrespective, then he could, have, he could have not even mentioned it. If they could have received the Spirit just by placing a coin in a slot or pulling a lever, he could have done that. It is also important to observe, although we know, if you've read the book of Acts, you know that they, wait, they waited for about 10 days. And the, what they were waiting for was the fulfillment of a prophetic timeline. But Jesus did not even say to them, all right, boys, meet, meet up back here at this here uh, upper room 10 days from now, about 2 o'clock on the day of Pentecost. I got something for you. <laughs> Until then, have at it. Go shopping, go fishing, do what you want. Heaven's timeline was set and there was nothing that they could have done to, to speed up or to slow down the timeline of heaven, but they didn't know that. He told them to wait. I know in hindsight, 
at least for me, maybe not for you. But in hindsight, we say, oh, they waited for 10 days. You think, well, of course they did. I mean, they're waiting for the Holy Ghost, 10 days. <laughs> Have you ever, I don't know, if, it's, 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 a, I've, it's seen it tough for folks to wait for 10 minutes. For anything. <laughs> Jesus says, wait here. And they wait a whole day. Well, we waited a whole day and ain't nothing happened. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going back to Samaria. I'm going back to Judea. I'm going back to Egypt. I'm going wherever. I'm, I'm going to go take a trip and go see my, my Aunt, Aunt Ruby in England or whatever. <laughs> Two days. Three days. All the instruments stopped playing, right? The guy in the organ gave up. <laughs> Coffee ran out day five. <laughs> half, lost half the church. <laughs> day six. Day seven. I wonder what they might have missed had they grown impatient. Impatience is often the first symptom of unbelief. But faith will wait. And you will have what you wait for. What did it mean, wait? What does that mean, wait? Well, again, there, it, it, we, can, we can consider that the Old Testament, it's, it's, it's ripe, it's landscape with this expression to wait upon the Lord or to wait for the Lord. And they understood it was part of their spiritual discipline that waiting was an action. Waiting was an action that expressed an attitude of the soul toward God. It was a practice. It was a posture that expressed intentional dependence, submission, receiving. Waiting on the Lord was an act of worship. It was an act of surrender. It was a way that for them to receive help. It was a way for them to ex- experience renewal. It was a way for them to seek God's intervention. They would wait. Jesus says, wait. How long? <laughs> How long did Jesus tell them to wait? Until. Everybody say, until. until. Wait until. How long were they supposed to wait? Until. They were, they were not given a timeline. They were given a goal. Yes. They were not given a timeline. They were given a result. They weren't given a timeline. They were given an expectation until. They were not to put heaven on a stopwatch, but to place themselves at heaven's disposal. How long? Until. Jesus said, you'll have what you wait for. The disciples could not generate the Spirit. They couldn't be like the prophets of Baal in the Old Testament, you know, jump around and slash and fall on the floor and holler and try to get God's. They couldn't generate the Spirit. They couldn't generate spiritual experience. They couldn't rub a lamp. All they could do is surrender, submit, receive. Jesus told them, wait for the promise, tarry until you will have what you wait for. Now, what about us? What about us? 
Well, the promise is also for us. The language, even the language here, the promise of the Father, that means that this promise is for everybody who would call God Father. But in case we didn't, we weren't sure, listen again to what we'll hear later in Acts chapter 2 when Peter explains the outpouring of the Spirit to the crowd that had gathered. Peter said, for the promise is for you. Maybe some of you just need to hear those words. The promise is for you. Too often, probably folks figure, oh, that promise, that's for the special or the sainted or the the significant or maybe for the weird. (laughs) But it's for you. And again, listen, so personal. And for your children. And for all who are far away. This is, now, this is a couple thousand years ago. Peter's saying this promise is for all who are far away. And aren't we glad that he said that? Because, because when, at the time that he said that, that meant you and me. For all who are far away. And yet the promise still stands. That the promise of the Spirit is still for those who are far away. They may not have any idea that the promise is for them. Or that, God, that they might not have any desire for God's promise. But God has desired to give them his promise. Yeah. They may not have desire for God, but God has desire toward them. And as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. The promise is for us. One more time, the promise is for us. Say it with me. The promise is for us. And if the promise is for us, I want to submit to you this morning, that so is the waiting. We wait. We tarry. Yes, if we read our Bible, we understand that there is no specific repetition of the command to wait or to tarry after chapter 1. We don't see that command given again. And you and I, we're not waiting for this prophetic calendar event. And we'll talk about that, how cool the coming of the Spirit is uh, 50 days after Passover and and 50 days after Passover and the the Sinai event and the giving of law and parallel pneumatological phenomenon. That'll be exciting, I promise. (laughs) But we're not waiting for this prophetic event before we can receive the promise. The promise has come. The Holy Spirit has come. But if we hope to receive what they did the way that they did, you and I would do well to follow the apostolic example. We should follow their example. We should imitate their posture. We should join them in waiting. Think about it. They waited for 10 days in anticipation, in patience, perseverance, and surrender, and they didn't even really know what was coming. You and I, we know. We know what has come. We know the difference the Holy Spirit has made through time and history in the church. And so you, we really should make the argument that we have a, we probably should posture ourselves even more intentionally we should posture ourselves with even a a greater sense of very intentional desperation saying we know the wonder of this promise lord we want to posture ourselves we should not approach the holy spirit as if he is some sort of vending machine 
He is not present at our disposal or our mood or our convenience. Andrew Murray, I remember uh, 25 years ago, I read these words by Andrew Murray, and I remember the night that I read them and where I was, and I remember putting the book down and just kind of collapsing on the floor under the weight of what Andrew said. And here's what he wrote. The Holy Spirit is not given to us as a possession of which we have control and can use at our discretion. Here it is. The Holy Spirit is given to us as our master who has control over us. We do not use him. He uses us. Murray continues and says, if we give ourselves entirely to his ruling within us, he will give more of himself to us and work through us. The waiting is for us, and so is the timeline. We tarry until. We do not put heaven on our stopwatch. We place ourselves at Jesus' feet. We do not seek a microwave renewal. We seek the fullest, deepest, ongoing, ever-increasing, prevailing influence of heaven in our lives, in our hearts, in our homes, in our marriages, in our children, our neighborhoods, our community. Oh, how deeply we need the promise of the Spirit. Let me add this. Waiting, tarrying until, is a corrective to the idolatry of hurry. We hurry because we are impatient. And impatience is a consequence of the idolatry of unbelief. Impatience is the attitude that people and schedules and events and life exist to serve us and our interest and our schedule. And therefore, heaven should too. We hurry Because for whatever reason, we believe that whatever is next is more urgent than what is now. We deceive ourselves. No one's even promised a next. Come on, come on. (laughs) But when we wait, when we tarry, We honor God. We honor his influence. We honor his lordship. We honor his ownership of our life. We honor his providence, his kindness. When we wait, we acknowledge and practice that nothing is more important than now that nothing is more valuable than him, that nothing is more needed than his presence. Nothing is more urgent than his infilling and his influence in our life. Nothing is more important than his empowering, cleansing, personal presence now.
We wait, friends, because there's always more. There's always more. One of my, one of my uh, uh, mentors when I was a, a, a younger, younger feller, during times of, of ministry at the church, uh, altar times, when where there would be an extended time of ministry and people waiting, I remember on more than one occasion, but at least one very specifically, he pulled me aside and he said, Brian, I want you to watch. He said, because the Spirit of God is described in Scripture as such, but the Spirit of God moves like the wind and like the surf, like the tides. He'll come in and they'll, like the wind doesn't come in a one constant thing and then, you know, burst, gust, and then stop. But the wind comes in, in, in gusts and then eases and then comes again. He said, and the tide, the waves come in and they'll come back out. But if you'll wait, the waves come back. And, he would, and I remember him saying, now watch, now just wait. If you'll wait, people will sense there'll be a, a, just a, a real move of the Spirit of the Lord upon people's lives. And too often people say, oh, great, that was it, I'm out. But if they'll wait, there's always more. And we will have what we, wait, what we wait for. And we wait because there's always more. How many of you would be, are ready to believe that there is more? Yes. There's more. No matter what, no matter how precious and sacred our experiences have been so far, is that all that God has for us? No matter how much we have really locked in our understanding of who God is and what he can do, no matter how accurate some of that might be, isn't it possible that there's more? You'll have what you wait for. The way to more is to wait for it. Let me close with just this one thought. One last, hopefully, not it's an example, an argument, call it what you will, but how? How should we wait? What does that look like? Right now this morning at your house later on today in the morning, Monday morning when you get up, how do you wait? How do you wait upon the Lord? How should we do it? Let me give you this thought. I want you to imagine Jesus. Visualize Jesus right before you. Maybe even do it right now. Visualize Jesus right before you. And now see him laying hands on you. Laying his hands on you and like in the book of John saying to you, breathing upon you saying, receive the Holy Spirit. Imagine Jesus right now laying hands on you and filling you with his own spirit, filling you with life and peace, ministering healing and power to you, sharing with you his own holiness, bringing purity and cleansing and freedom into your life, pouring out just His love and His kindness, pouring out His Spirit upon you. Let me ask you this question. How long would you want Jesus to keep His hands on you? How long would there be anything more important 
What kind of expectation, what kind of hope, what kind of assurance would you have as he lays his hands on you that this is no waste of time, that right now something powerful, something significant, something very personal is happening. Jesus is laying his hands on you. What would you do in that moment? I think you would wait. And I think you would tarry until because in that moment you know that you will absolutely have what you wait for. We wait because waiting is faith. Waiting is surrender. Waiting is worship. And waiting is necessary. Come Holy Spirit Thank you.
today and in the days and weeks ahead, would you lead us more fully and more deeply, more powerfully and more personally into your presence. We thank you for the promise of your spirit and how your spirit means everything to our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, would you keep your hand upon your church for good as you lead us and guide us, keep us in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm going to have the musicians keep playing this song. And if you'd like to stay back, we even come to the forward, find a place just to wait upon the Lord. We welcome you to do that. There's room in the cafe. Your kids are waiting for you. It's a beautiful day outside. May the Lord bless you and keep you. If you'd like to hang back, we have room for you.